And, you know, while I was sitting in jail, I thought, you know, my civil rights were violated. Do I even have civil rights? Are they an illusion to keep, you know, the public docile? And so I decided, you know, I'm earning this degree in journalism. The pen is mightier than the sword. Really, at the end of the day, you know, we have freedom of speech. And so I decided to take my degree and put it to good use and start a media company. And so that's exactly what I did. Hi, welcome to the Melrose Show. Melrose here. If you've listened to this intro before, you can click the forward button now eight times to get to the start of this episode. So before this version of myself, I was Anne, artist, fashion designer, professional model, TV personality, small business owner, real estate agent, placement agent, and an institutional financial advisor, all before stepping into my current role, which I love in investor relations and podcasting professional. Woo! It was a wild ride to get here. And after all those jobs, living in six countries, 16 different cities, and trying on many versions of myself, I have found that the best place to live is comfortably in my purpose and in a space and a community that allows me and wants to see me grow. And I want the same for you through my highly versatile career path and working with others on their dreams along the way, I decided to start this podcast to try to help people understand that life is not a race, it's a marathon, career is not a ladder, it's a jungle gym, and that I really believe truly the best way in life is following curiosity. My curiosity has me focused on career, plants, shadow light and integration work, art, permaculture, and community building. These are my purposes in life. And for me, they all go together. They're topics that we will explore together throughout time on this podcast. And I come here to connect you to unique ideas from incredible people. The aim is to help us all grow more into our purpose-driven lives. This podcast supports a community of amazing humans that meet on full moons to howl and heal. We are a global community. Many are interviewed on this podcast. And I invite you to join us offline after the show. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this exploration journey with people from around the world who have self-actualized in their lives in some way. Hopefully, they will inspire you in your own authentic journey. Enjoy! Hey guys, we're here today with Christina Giovanni, CEO of Emerald Media. Emerald Media is an amazing media group that is focused on cannabis for the modern day consumer, and they are the big sister for the industry. Christina has an amazing story, and she's going to tell us all about it, so let's get started. Hey, Christina. Hey. How's it going? It's going good. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us about um, where you come from and how you came upon Emerald Media. Absolutely. So I'm originally from California. I was born in San Diego, but eventually I made my way up to Northern California to a county called Humboldt. And I got my degree in journalism from Humboldt State University. I always wanted to be Diane Sawyer when I was growing up. So I, I love public speaking. I, you know, um, I got, um, was always into speech making and uh, making public appearances. And so 
during my last semester of college, I actually woke up one morning to a very abrupt knock on my front door. And I opened the door to find the entire Humboldt County Drug Task Force standing in my front lawn, guns drawn, bulletproof vests on, the whole nine yards, completely like a scene out of a movie. Oh. And they told, they, they told me that my boyfriend, who I was living with at the time, was caught on an Amtrak, tr on an Amtrak train with bulk currency. And that they had suspicion uh, that something illicit was going on at the house and that they were coming in without a warrant uh, to search the house. And so I was detained for about five hours uh, without a warrant. You know, it was very early in the morning. This is during my last semester of college. So unfortunately, I did not make it out the door for class that day. But um, yeah, you know, the uh, law enforcement, they came through, they searched my entire house, they, you know, thought we were growing cannabis, which was very common out there, but we were not growing cannabis. Um, and as soon as the judge did sign a warrant, the only place they had not looked was the attic. So they went into the attic and they found additional currency, uh, which was my boyfriend's, and I went to jail. Um, Unfortunately, they call it the poisonous apple effect, where one incident sparks another incident, which sparks another incident, and the apple rolls down the tree, and lo and behold, you're in the hot seat. So I was apprehended. I was taken to jail for possession of marijuana with intent to distribute. Um, I was also raised in Texas growing up, and so I am a firearm owner, and I had my firearm present at the house when law enforcement came. So that was possession of a firearm and the commission of a felony. And the final charge that they slapped me with was harboring a room for drug manufacturing. Now this one, I still chuckle at today because um, I had a grocery, a paper grocery bag full of trim from a, a previous, I don't know, season or something like that. It was old, dried out, cannabis trim that I should have just thrown away, but for whatever hoarding reason, I decided to hang on to it. And I kept it in a spare bedroom and they considered that harboring a room for drug manufacturing. So I was arrested on those three charges. I went to jail. I only spent a couple hours in jail and uh, was bailed out. And, you know, while I was sitting in jail, I thought, you know, my civil rights were violated. Do I even have civil rights? Are they an illusion to keep, you know, the public docile? And so I decided, you know, I'm earning this degree in journalism. The pen is mightier than the sword. Really, at the end of the day, you know, we have freedom of speech. And so I decided to take my degree and put it to good use and start a media company. And so that's exactly what I did. But I actually had an open case for about nine months. And I remember telling my lawyer that uh, I'm going to start this magazine and da da da. And I remember him looking at me and being like, please don't mess this up for us. Please don't like jeopardize everything that I have done, you know, to fight your case because you want to, you know, have a revenge magazine about the cops. And so, you know, I was like, no, no, this is going to be a, a nice publication, you know, and 
And so for nine months, you know, I kind of coasted along, um, took me a while to get up and running. You know, I was a broadcast journalism student. And so I never had the, I never took the classes or had the experience in desktop publishing or magazine writing. And so I really had a lot of learning to do after I graduated college that May. But I took a few months um, to just get it established online to build that digital presence. And then in September or August or September, sometime in the fall of 2012, I launched the first quarterly print magazine. And we were a traditional lifestyle magazine. We were discussing you know, the natural beauty of the North Coast and Humboldt County, which was known for cannabis cultivation, but there was so much more in the community going on that was never really highlighted because cannabis was so prominent up there. And then as time went on, you know, we went to feature the Emerald Triangle. So Humboldt, Trinity, and Mendocino counties, which make up the Emerald Triangle, which is a notorious place for cannabis cultivation. They did an underground study when I was in school, and they estimated that 70% of the United States cannabis comes from this specific area. And so, you know, sometime when, I think it might even have been two years later, I had rebranded the Emerald into a cannabis magazine, a, a household appropriate cannabis lifestyle magazine, because really that's, that's why I started this was because of a cannabis related arrest. I just had to, you know, teach myself how to produce a magazine and, and took some time for me to learn. And like I said, I had an open court case for a while, so I was treading lightly. Uh, but fast forward a few years, rebranded to a cannabis magazine. We went from quarterly to monthly, did monthly for about seven years. And then in 2019, I relocated out of California over to the East Coast and set up shop here in Brooklyn and really expanded into the digital space. So in addition to continuing to print, we now do daily digital content, we do podcasts, we do videos, we have a newsletter that goes out three times a week. We have a few other verticals that are in the works right now that uh, you know, we've really been able to give a lot of attention to during this pandemic and we'll be bringing those to life hopefully by the, before the end of the year. And so that's kind of how the Emerald got started from a cannabis related arrest and really just taking a negative experience and trying to turn it into something positive and, and really using that, that energy that I had, that uh, you know, PTSD from being arrested, from going through the court process for almost a year and, and really just trying to harness that energy and, and put it into something good. And so, you know, when I look back now, I think, wow, you know, getting arrested may have been the best thing that ever happened to me because it really did spark this incredible journey. I've been doing it for almost nine years now. And, you know, if that had never happened, I have no idea where I would be today. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh, girl, that is a lot. <laughs> is, everyone, <laughs> is everyone processing this? What just happened? Like that's, that's so intense. So, okay. So you, the charges were dropped. You got to reclaim cause they seized your assets, right? So you got to reclaim your assets. Right. They, um, they went into my wallet. They took out all of my debit cards. They drained every dollar from all of my bank accounts. Uh, you know, even though there was written evidence on where this 
you know, whatever money was in my account, where it came from, they didn't care, you know, everything was potential drug proceeds to them. So they drained my bank accounts, they seized my firearms, they took all the cannabis in the house, uh, which was within the legal limit under California's Proposition 215 law, we, you know, you're illegally allowed to have X amount of cannabis at your house. Yeah, uh, grow it for yourself, that. right? I mean, technically you can. Right. I mean, so, you know, Humboldt County is, is very lenient when it comes to cannabis. I think, you know, if you had a license, you're allowed to have between one and three pounds back in the day. I'm not sure what it is. Well, now it's recreational. So, um, but yeah, you know, after, after our, uh, my charges were dropped, my ex forfeited all of the money to have my charges dropped and to have his charges dropped. But he did have to do, I believe, like 100 hours of community service. And he had to pay a fine for possession of marijuana, which literally was like $100. It was just such a slap in the face, you know, after, after forfeiting, you know, all this money, he had to pay a $100 fine for possession of marijuana. And so um, that's what he had to go through. I, on the other hand, got all of my money returned. I got my firearms back. I never got the cannabis back, of course, but you know, I, I was able to, to move on from that experience and use the Emerald as a source of therapy to keep my mind occupied, to keep you know, my mission alive and, and to really just um, profile the industry from the inside. You know, there's so many preconceived notions about cannabis. It's the devil's lettuce. It you know, is, has been used as a, as a propaganda tool, you know, for decades. And so um, what I really wanted to be was the Betty Crocker of cannabis. I wanted to be the Martha Stewart of marijuana to really show that, you know, this plant has amazing properties or amazing attributes about it. The people in the industry are good people. They're community members. You know, we all are moving in the same direction. And so I really just wanted to showcase what the industry looked like from an insider's perspective to those on the outside that are curious about the lifestyle. I mean, now we know the thing about drugs is like, I would, if I was going to have to pick between something natural and something synthetic made in a lab that, you know, now I know pharmaceutical companies pushed on us without, you know, has killed hundreds of millions of hundreds of thousands of people, you know, for me, I think, I don't think cannabis would be a gateway drug if it wasn't a schedule one, you know, I don't think it would be a, a gateway drug if it was not associated with all these other bad things, because it's like one of the only things that, well, not smoking it, obviously, but you know, it's one of the only things where you can treat epilepsy with it. You can treat so many things with it. And yet it's just so fascinating that, that, that it's just become this huge fight. And I watched a documentary on it about how, how basically legalizing it has essentially just made it even more impossible for people. You know, you could jump through all the hoops to try to do it, but it's tons and tons of money. It's, you know, it's very hard for the average, like just run-of-the-mill grower, let's say mom-and-shop grower, to survive in an industry that's essentially just being monopolized? 
Right. This is a very uh, volatile industry. We have extreme highs and extreme lows. And, you know, from um, a business or an investment standpoint, you know, uh, the Canadian market kind of just squashed uh, America's cannabis entrepreneurs' dreams of getting funded. It's very hard right now to go out in the markets to raise capital because, uh, like I said, the Canadian stocks were so overinflated. The valuations were just astronomical. And it is hard for the average uh, individual to join the industry because the overhead is atrocious. You know, in California alone, a license, whether it's a cultivation license or a distribution or manufacturing license, could easily cost you over $200,000. And that's not something that the average person just has laying around. And so, you know, we, we obviously don't want corporate cannabis in the scene. You know, we want individuals that have been affected by the war on drugs to come up and to profit and, 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 and to really lead this industry because they're part of the legacy. And so, you know, right now um, there's only, I think, just maybe around a dozen legalized states, states that have gone recreational, maybe around 10 or 12. And more states are coming online. Fortunately, hemp and CBD have helped propel cannabis's perception so much just over the last few years. You know, we've spent 20 years trying to get cannabis legalized, at least in California. You know, the history goes back to Dennis Barone and the AIDS epidemic that happened. And, and it took years to get it to the, uh, into mainstream. Hemp, I believe, you know, especially since moving out to the East Coast, um, has such traction, such positive momentum out here. There's lots of hemp farms that uh, exist on the East Coast, Vermont, Maine, New York State. And, you know, I believe I've done some research into states like Maine and Vermont on, you know, what it takes to get a license. And it's, it seems much easier and much more obtainable than obtaining a, a license in California or Colorado for THC production or, or THC cultivation. So, yeah, I, I, all of this is like so, so fascinating for so many reasons. And one of the things that you said was that, you know, people don't just have $200,000 laying around and it's like, and even if they can prove that they've had 15 years traction of being successful in this crop, um, they, they can't get, capital from banks because it's still federally not legal so that's a huge problem you know because now they have to you know raise money within their friends families they have to go and um, i think the financials around the industry are hard when it's still not federally legal but i i also it also makes me wonder like do you think people will kind of treat this industry eventually when they see the major monopolization that is actually happening um, do you think that people can even figure out how to treat the industry, like how to not be supporting the big guys and how to try to support the small guys? Like, let's say I don't shop fast fashion. I'm always going to try to find the brands online who are doing the ethical, sustainable, you know, the right thing. But can, pe can people even do that when they're trying to buy their, you know, recreational or medicinal marijuana? I think that there is always going to be a desire for craft cannabis, just like there's, you know, a desire for craft beer. 
Um, yeah. You know, on the flip side of that, there will always be a desire for the Budweiser of beer. I mean, the Budweiser of cannabis or the Walmart of weed. You know, people like my dad who live in Texas that don't care about like quality that much. They just want to sprinkle a little green over, you know, his cigar, his cigarette. You know, there will always be those consumers. But then I think that, you know, a lot of people that are in this industry do care about the quality of their product that they care about what they're putting in their body. And yeah. so I think that, you know, when it comes to the mom and pop grows, the boutique grows, um, I, I sincerely hope that they will remain on the surface and be able to survive over the next few years. I know California has a law instated that, you know, I think five years, it's going to take five years before they allow corporate cannabis to come in is they're trying to give the small farmer a leg up, an opportunity to get a head start. Um, but, you know, it really all goes back to having the funds to expand. You know, it's like any other industry, like any other company, you can bootstrap it. You know, we bootstrapped Emerald for eight years. It, it wasn't until I moved to New York in January of 2019 did I ever go out there for fundraising. And that was because, you know, I genuinely felt given all the legwork that my team has done, all the advertising that we sold has brought us to this point, has kept us alive and in business for eight years. But if we want to expand, if we want to have more media, a more diverse set of media, videos, podcasts, what have you, you know, we, we could either sell more advertising, which is very hard sell, or, you know, we could go out there and look for strategic partners, for investors, for friends and family that have seen and witnessed the growth of our company. And, you know, I know in cannabis, there's this stigma of taking capital, you know, some, I'd say maybe it's a 50-50 divide. Half the companies in the industry are, are actively seeking capital. And then the other half, they want to do it on their own. And that's extremely commendable. And, and from the media standpoint, you know, we did it on our own for eight years. And you know, my father always said, if you can make it past two years, you're doing a lot better than a lot of other businesses out there. And, and I believe that our success was due in part to our fresh perspective on the industry. You know, one of the, the yeah. old, school, old school media outlets is High Times. And, you know, they started decades ago. And it was a spoof on Playboy, which is why they had the bud spread, you know, the sexy nugs. And so they certainly did... Um, fill a niche, they, they found their circle and, and they've rocked it. And I think that people, and that's all that society really had to go off of for many years um, was and high they tried to and buy you. They tried to buy you twice, right? They, they, a representative from High Times reached out to me on two separate occasions to have the acquisition talk. I was never interested in having that discussion because I started the Emerald because I was, I was rated, you know, I had a mission to make cannabis look good to, to bring it into a positive light to, to really rebuild or to, you know, create a new perception for cannabis. And so for me, it wasn't about money. Um, and, and so I, um, you know, I'm, I'm a member of an independent cannabis publishers group. Uh, one of my close friends in that group, did have that conversation with High Times. And, you know, she decided in the end that that wasn't the avenue she wanted to pursue either. Now, that being said, a lot of my major competitors did sell to High Times. 
And unfortunately, they, you know, were swept under the rug. Um, and, and I don't see them around. I don't see them. I don't see a digital presence for them. I certainly don't see a print magazine for them anymore. Right. High Times had the, in, High Times had the intention of going public. And so, you know, they were trying to build their portfolio, but I, I'm grateful that I didn't, you know, pursue that lead because I don't think Emerald would be in existence now. And the fact is that, you know, we have such a different audience than high times, you know, we're really catering to the soccer mom. We're going for the modern day consumer, predominantly between the ages of 30 and 50. We do have 19% uh, of our followers are senior citizens. I attribute that to our print magazine. Um, you know, that was a very popular form of media when I was in the Emerald Triangle, because when you're growing your cannabis out on the hill, you don't have internet reception like you do in town. So print went very far. I mean, it carried us for years out there. And so, yeah, you know, it's, that is something I actually read recently was about how, you know, Wi-Fi is a problem for farmers, you know, <laughs> trying to, trying to create agriculture and mix it with tech is a problem. So you were the, you were an executive director of um, Humboldt Women. So, so that's such a great um, you know, that's such a great background to kind of align with your media group being that you are looking to expand awareness for, you know, females 30 to 50 who actually were the target of the opioid crisis. You know, that's a large part of the population who had issues with um, opioids, right? So actually, I think that that's incredible that you're doing that. Um, but tell us about Humboldt Women and about, um, and if you want to talk about uh, your mom and like how, how the older, you know, senior citizens, you know, they really can benefit from this, like, versus, you know, putting in a bunch of opioids, you know, starting to do traditional sure. pharmaceuticals. Sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, to touch on Humboldt Women, it's a grassroots organization that I started years ago when I was in Humboldt County, because as an entrepreneur, it's, it's hard. It is so hard to start a business and to keep it running. And you need access to seed money to, you know, buy things like um, buy an, your exhibitor booth so you can table at a convention, you know, to, to get that piece of advertising, to get that graphic designer to help perfect your logo. So, you know, that was more of a community organization that I started that uh, different businesses would donate $500 every month. Myself and a committee would go through applications. We would select a winner um, and then we would give them a $500 grant. I think the first business that we chose, um, they were called the Happy Butchers. And it was these two women that they were farmers. Uh, they were traditional farmers and, you know, they were, they needed uh, to get a certificate to go through a, a class in Sonoma County so that they could become certified. So, you know, it was, it was helping entrepreneurs and women founded businesses obtain things that they need to just get to the next level. So that was one, that was one organization back in the day that. that I had started. And then my, um, from what you mentioned about the opioid crisis, I mean, we know that women suffer from chronic pain more than men do. Yes, and, we do know that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and I, I unfortunately have lost a few friends um, 
to the opioid crisis. And, you know, it's just that these pills were so readily available and dispensed so freely by so many doctors. Um, you know, one of my friends realized he had a problem, went to rehab, got out, and just couldn't kick the habit. He just couldn't do it. You know, I, I, I think about him all the time. Um, and unfortunately, he never woke up. And so, you know, there, there are plenty of people that use cannabis as an exit drug. You know, we hear so often this is a gateway drug, but really this is an exit drug to get you off of alcohol, to get you off of painkillers, to, you know, ease you out of, you know, if you're doing harder drugs, crystal meth or heroin, which was, you know, issues in the Emerald Triangle. Um, you know, there was a lot of people that unfortunately suffered from addiction. And I believe that cannabis can help be a gateway out of that. Um, but with that yeah. being said, you know, I think the opioid epidemic, I, I, I hope that cannabis can be used more so uh, to get people out of that, out of that phase in their life. You know, we know now Oakland and Denver have decriminalized psilocybin. Um, and we know that mushrooms are now being used to treat PTSD, to treat depression. And for anyone that's ever been to Amsterdam, you know, that has done the magic truffles or has smoked cannabis freely at the cafes, you know, when you're in it, you're like, why is this such a crime? Why is this such a big deal? You know, nothing crazy is happening right now. You know, I'm smoking a joint in public outside. The world's not blowing up. You know, I'm eating these magic truff these truffles and and I'm not exploding, you know, I'm not doing something illegal. Yeah, I feel um, that. When I lived in Bali, yeah. the only legal drug was mushrooms. And you can just go to the store and like get them. And, <laughs> and you know, it's, I totally agree with you. Like, I think it's because there is a lot of business behind it. And it's, and it, I think if you watch the storyline of, of cannabis and how it was criminalized, it's, it is easy to understand why, but it's just like, how long do we have to stand for that? And I think, you know, I don't, I'm not, I don't really do anything these days. I work, I, I'm like more work is my drug and, and empowering women is like a drug for me. And I, I feel very empowered by community and by trying to get my body to the optimal performance. But when you're in pain all the time and your doctor prescribes you Oxycontin, oxycodone and you can't afford it and you start doing heroin and you are going to be stuck on this drug for the rest of your life like for the love of god let them the guy have a joint but the person who's providing the joint has been always providing the joint why do they have to get smashed in the middle of of all this bit all this political drug world it's just it's very sad and i love that you're using emerald media group to create awareness and I mean, what a great idea to be the Betty Crocker, the big sister, um, to say the things that you know about this, this industry that you've been in now for many, many years, um, to say them in a way that women can download them and make their own choices. Um, and, and, and doctors are not going to necessarily always tell you that because they're not getting a, a write-off from the pharmaceutical company. So Absolutely. It, it makes sense. My, my grandparents are 90 years old and they just started using a hemp extract maybe a year ago. They finally came around to it. I love and that. My gran 
I know it's, it's so sweet. My grandmother, she calls me and she asks me questions all the time. You know, how about the salve? How about the tincture um, or the transdermal patch? And what I think is, you know, one memory that sticks out is that she did approach her doctor. She did ask her doctor because she's on blood thinners. Can I take this CBD? And her doctor told her flat out, I don't know anything about that. So we're not going to discuss it. Uh, you know, I mean, these doc- these uh, doctors, they're not even trained in herbal medicine. You know, I mean, she she completely cut the conversation off. She's like, we're not even going to go down that road because I don't know anything about it. And this conversation would be pointless. It's essentially it's like, what how, she told how don't you know about it? How don't you know about plants? Plants are like, they're the healer. I mean, it's crazy. I have, my whole life changed when I went plant-based. And I've watched one of the guy I'm dating now, he lost 18 pounds when he started dating me. He didn't even have 18 pounds to lose. He lost 18 pounds right away. I lost 12 pounds right away. You know, the doctors are like, get on this thing for your, your cholesterol. It's like, actually put the person on some leafy greens, their body will get nutrition. They'll stop chasing nutrition with, with food that doesn't have nutrition in it. And they'll stop eating so much and stop being obese. I mean, we have to stop allowing you know, systems that make money off of our consumerism to make us sick, you know, like that at a certain point, you have to like draw the line, like plants are the healers, you know, they absorb the carbon, you know, like they're, they are the power, you know, and it's just, you're sorry, I'm so passionate about it because I personally feel the effects of, of surviving, surviving, um, a mindset that could have put me down a very unhealthy path in my life and, and, and to consume things that I'm not conscious of, you know? And, and I think a lot of women right now are like looking at, in, especially in America, especially in like Scandinavia and, you know, countries where we have the luxury to care about um, sp- spending a little more money for something that we can ethically, sustainably, health-wise align ourselves with. I do think like, I want to see a media company. I want to see multi many media companies, but on every different industry. But I don't want to look at, like you said, like these scantily clad women and have this stoner culture where I'm not going to achieve things. If I'm just trying to find an alternative way to treat, you know, monthly pain that is so excruciating that I can't function, you know? So I, I think what you're doing is like so awesome. And I think that people really need to open their eyes to it and stop rolling their eyes to it. And the fact that you've got your grandparents doing that is just like, that's a testament, you know? <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Now, I, I, I love seeing people, you know, at least give it a shot to try it. You know, there's, I, I do um, encounter a lot of individuals that are apprehensive and we get calls on our office line from people with questions. You know, I get a lot of calls from people in Humboldt County that don't have a computer and they're unable to, um, you know, Google this stuff. So they call me everything from questions about CBD to who am I going to vote for in the election? I, I, I remember during, during the election year, a couple years ago, I got so many calls and I would just, you know, and, and when, it was recreational um, when it was on the ballot in California for cannabis to go wreck, you know, people would call and say, how should I vote? Because, you know, I mean, the people, um, the legacy industry stood to make, you know, be less impacted if it uh, remains illegal, you know, it's completely subjective. It's up to people's opinion, but 
you know, my response to people was, have you ever been arrested for cannabis? And, you know, some would say yes, some would say yes, and some would say no. And I said, well, when you, if you, you know, when you have, or if you ever are, then you will feel at that moment, I shouldn't be arrested for this. And that's how I feel. You know, I, I feel like every state has a long road ahead of them and they'll never get any program perfect. You know, there's, there's something called the social equity program, which acknowledges uh, the victims of the war on drugs, you know, who have gone to jail and have gotten felonies for cannabis mm -hmm. and how the state can make, uh, you know, reparations and restitution to them by moving their application to the front of the line. But, you know, what, what a lot of states fail to realize is that, you know, you have someone that's been in jail for 10 years. Um, you know, they don't have deep pockets. You know, it's great that you're pushing their application to the front of the line, but how are they going to drop $2 million to start a dispensary? You know, so then you have individuals yeah, and, coming. Yeah. And what's the, what's the <laughs> financial ramifications of not earning for 10 years and investing that money to earn interest? I mean, like, even if you're not, even if you're just a free person who just got, you know, was told you can't do this anymore. You at least can war have a job doing something and earning right. for 10 years, you know, it's crazy. Right. Right. There's a, there's a lot of uh, wrinkles that need to be ironed out in the cannabis industry in regards to states getting their programs in line with what the people actually want. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it really does take continued advocacy and, and as cliche as it might sound, you know, writing, writing letters to your, your representative, to your officials, um, and telling them what you want, because they depend on your vote, you know, and it's important for them to actually hear you. And they're able to make suggestions to the higher ups. Um, there's a group in New York City, I think it's the New York City Cannabis Industry Association. They're making direct recommendations to Governor Cuomo. And so, you know, I just, um, I work for, I work with a capital management um, company in addition to Emerald because it, it really aligned with our fundraising efforts. I had met this group um, during my fundraising journey in 2019. I really liked the people working there, um, you know, and they were looking for a vice president and I, I raised my hand and I said, hey, you know, I've already got, got the same synergy going on. I'm already fundraising in this space. Like, you know, and, and it seems like a predominantly male team. So how about you get a woman on board? Um, and they were all about it, you know, and, and, awesome. and um, yeah. And, and so, you know, killing um, it. you're killing it, girl. One of, one of my colleagues there, the nicest, nicest individual, just such a great guy. He was telling me about this uh, industry association, how they're making direct recommendations to the governor. And so, you know, based off that information, I became a member of the organization because I want to get involved. I want to make sure that my readers are heard, that I'm heard, that Emerald, you know, we take the perspectives of, of many individuals in the industry and we want to make sure that our voices are heard when they're making, um, when they're writing policies and, and, and things of that nature. And so, you know, it really is about continued advocacy, a lifelong dedication, and that, you know, having been arrested for cannabis, I, it is a lifelong mission of my own to be an advocate, um, and the media company comes second nature because of my degree in journalism, and so, you know, I believe that, you know, having the right mission, being honest with our intentions, maybe a little bit of good karma, 
um, have all played into where we are today. So um, in addition to the um, working as a VP at a, you know, a merchant investment banking um, company and, and helping other people have access to capital who maybe would not be people who would be able to raise money for whatever their industry is, you guys deliver through the media group, you deliver free daily digital content, videos, podcasts, newsletters, and a print magazine, right? Correct. And, um, I mean, that is just amazing. So I feel similar with finance. Like the way that I found myself in finance was because I was, I had such a hard time raising capital from, um, from funds because there were never women on the, on the sitting on the boards and, and, and they just couldn't see my vision. Even when I added tech to it, it was a little too late. And, and I just think it's so great that it's almost like, you kind of, this is, I feel like we're aligned in the, in the sense that you kind of do what you, what you're curious about and you're passionate about. And then it kind of leads you to something that you maybe never really would have thought about doing, but that might even fit your character even more or align perfectly with what you're doing. And that you're like the perfect example of that. It's funny how life works out sometimes. I know. It's like you almost couldn't even have dreamed that up, but it is part of the process. And I do think that that is something um, that we're going to see more of. You know, a lot of people who would never even think to be in banking uh, will, especially females and entrepreneurial women, I do think it's something that we step into because we need more of us. And and I do think that, that I mean, that's just really cool that you could do that. So if um, if people wanted to you know, be able to go to get to your content, what's the link that they would go to or the IG? And then also how can people follow you? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's the emerald magazine.com. So it's kind of a long one, but it's spelled all the way out for our website. So T H E E M E R A L D magazine.com. That's our website domain. And then for Instagram, it's the emerald magazine as well. Um, and then from there, you know, our Twitter is the Emerald News. Uh, for myself, it's my first and last name. So Christina Giovanni. that's my Instagram handle. And, uh, you know, if anyone wants to follow us or get involved in any way, um, they could always email me directly. I'm editor at theemeraldmagazine.com. And, you know, I mean, we always look for, for community input. Uh, you know, we want to hear what the people want to, you know, what they want to hear, what they want to read. And, um, you know, really media outlets to me should be a platform of delivering information and, and relevant news that, that individuals need to know and that they want to know. And maybe, you know, even information that they didn't know that they wanted to know. Um, and just being topical and staying up with current events and being relevant and, you know, being a base of resources. You know, right now we're going through a pandemic, but we're also going through a very large, um, you know, much needed social movement, social correction of the way that individuals have been treated at the hands of police brutality. I mean, this is really why I got into this industry is because my civil rights were violated by law enforcement. And I wanted to be a microphone for others who have experienced that injustice so that we can amplify their voices and make change. That's 100% the reason why I started it. You know, I may have 
humorously joked in, in the past and say, well, I started a revenge magazine because the pen is mightier than the sword. Well, that's pretty much true. I just made it look really aesthetic, you know, <laughs> and, and, and so. Well, you know, most women don't figure out what they're going to do with their life in a jail cell. But if you end up in a jail cell or you end up in a tough moment in your life, or maybe, you know, th these are the moments where we figure, where we go through it because we're going to figure out the bigger picture. I do often go back to this one thing that I read a lot in my mind, which is um, when I'm thinking about my career path, which is, um, you know, you have to look at the things that have happened to you in your life and the things that, that have been your biggest lessons. Okay. And when you look at those things, you, you have two choices. You can either pursue that for the rest of your life and try to correct it, or you can like release it, but understand that that it was part of your growth process. And then you can actually let that lesson go to the side and go off and learn your next lesson. But at some point you're going to be handed a lesson and you're like, Oh, this is the thing I'm going to devote my life to. I think what happens with a lot of people is they go through something very traumatic, very early on in their life. They make it their life mission or they kind of they operate either running towards or away from something, but they're operating kind of out of the fear of that. But is fear a motivator or is it not? A, or is it kind of holding you back from what, where you're really supposed to be? I think in your case, this is something that you're sitting in that cell and you're like, no, actually people are not getting this message. You know, like they, we as women need to understand this because we as women are powerful and we need a group in the media that, that shows what this really is and what this is all about. I'm, it's very inspiring. I mean, what would your, what's your biggest advice to people trying to figure out what they're going to do with their lives and starting their careers? You know, maybe somebody's studying something similar to you, journalism or even like something like botany, but they're like not quite sure what they're supposed to do with it. You know, I often think about this question as well. Like how would I have found my purpose if I wasn't thrusted into something and I, I I still don't have a clear answer because I still think about it a lot um, but I think what's really important obviously you know if you love what you do you never work a day in your life I'm a big believer in that and it is so important to find something that you can do day in and day out something that you are passionate about that you want to see happen and I feel like in today's day and age, a lot of individuals are entrepreneurs, they're, you know, independent contractors, they march to the beat of their own drum. And so, you know, I mean, my advice would be to anyone, you know, starting their own business um, is, is never be apprehensive or afraid to ask for help. Um, I never would have gotten off the ground if it wasn't for places like the Small Business Development Center that literally held my hand and said, this is what a business plan is. This is what financial projections are. You know, you need a logo. You need to find your target demographic and don't say it's everybody because then you're missing the beat on anybody. You know, so I think that just if, if anyone out there that's thinking about, you know, like, what am I passionate about? What do I want to do? And if you're thinking that you want to start your own brand or your own nonprofit, um, you know, just never be scared to ask for help. Um, I wish, you know, I had asked for more help because when I look back at the first 
print issue of the magazine, it was terrible. You know, it's hard to look at. It, it looks like chicken scratch. You I gotta start somewhere I, I though. Just, <laughs> I, yeah, you know, I mean, and, and when I look at the, the first issue to, you know, the, the last issue that we published, it's, it's eight years of growth. So, you know, I never would have hit it out of the park, um, you know, right out the door, but I should have at least asked, you know, I could have asked a fellow student, hey, look, can, you took the magazine class, can you look this over? But I was so kind of like to myself, I was like, all right, well, I'm going to do this magazine and like, I'm going to put it out there and, you know, whatnot. But so I yeah. think that, that would be my, my, my one thing of advice is, is, you know, life is such a learning process. You'll never stop learning. If you're done learning, then that's a problem. Um, and, you know, just always don't, don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, there's so many government funded nonprofits out there that, that this is their purpose is to help stimulate our economy and get your business off the ground and they're there to help you and I'm grateful that someone had told me about the small business development center because I never would have known if I didn't ask for help wow that that is so true I wish I had I had done that too and you know, uh, I'm in a women's group at my company and uh, it's you know all financial advisor females from the whole Southeast area. And the last week they, they, they played this Ted talk and it was all about progress, not perfection. And we need to teach women to be brave, not perfect. And so I wrote on my wall right now, I'm looking at it, this sign that says progress underlined twice, not perfectly, not perfection. <laughs> and I have to, I think we all have to remember that, you know, and we're not perfect and we're not, the goal isn't to be perfect, but we just need to progress a little more every day. I wish I had, I had had mentors. Do you have mentors? Like mentors changed my life. I'm like, why didn't I have these earlier? You know, and people are like, well, how do you get them? Or like you ask as many people as possible that you respect and three of them will say yes. And maybe ask if you don't necessarily agree with one of the, one of them is telling you, you have two more to run the idea by them. If they all three of them say it's a great idea, you should do it. That's why I became a financial advisor because all three of my mentors said, you'd be great at that. You know, <laughs> actually you should have been doing that this whole time. And I didn't believe the first one that said it. I didn't. And that's why I had, and I had two more and I said, and I thought I would have been so much further down the line, so much faster had I exactly what you said had the courage to ask people for help and to be able to take constructive criticism and say, thank you afterwards. You know, thank you so much. Can we do this again next month? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Can you tear me apart next month, please? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Last couple of questions. What are your, what are your favorite, what are your top three book recommendations? like either in your, within your industry or just things that kind of inspire you, or I've been kind of opening up lately um, because it seems like people don't have tons of time for uh, too much reading and, but like maybe some of your, I the people that you're looking up to or some of the things that you've written about and are had in the magazine that are, you know, people should really check out for, for understanding I more. I think a great book is How to Win Friends and Influence People. I yes. think that that should be, I think that should be step one. And that a writer, one of my writers years ago turned me on. She's like, have you read this book? I was like, no. And she's like, oh, this is step one. Like, yeah, you, you I read it every proceed. six months. <laughs> you got to reread yeah, it. Too. So, you have to read it every year, you guys. <laughs> yeah. So that would definitely be a recommendation. Um, 
for me, it's funny. When it comes to reading books, I am actually a little particular. I only really like to read, like I read plenty of stuff online. I'm constantly reading articles. I'm reading studies. Um, but when it comes to me personally on reading, I like to read about British history, specifically like King Henry VIII and the Tudor era. I just am fascinated Ooh. with Elizabeth the first. And so I love that that part of history always have um, ever since I was eight, nine years old. I've got King Henry VIII books that I still have today. And then I also really like to read about near death experiences. I don't know, kind of morbid, but a little insightful at the same time. Um, so I'm reading this one book right now called The Language of God. And I'm not a very religious person. I consider myself to be agnostic. I was raised Catholic, but I'm, I'm a very spiritual person. And I, I believe in the power of energy and that there is something Dang. out there greater than us. Mm -hmm. um, but The Language of God is uh, by a scientist who, you know, was atheist. And he soon came to discover that you know, DNA and genetics are a higher powers form of communication. And so I haven't finished the book yet. Kind of a hard read because it's a little wordy. Um, I've had to reread several pages several times. Um, but, you know, I mean, so when it comes to what I read personally, I'm into history and then uh, near-death experiences. But if it was to come to business, of course, how to win friends and influence people would be number one. Nice. Have you ever read um, Michael Newton, Journey of Souls, or Brian Weiss, uh, Many Lives, Many Masters, or Many Masters, Many Lives? I have not. So Michael Newton is fascinating. So he did all these studies. Both of them were scientists who essentially like put their careers on the line by saying that they were doing studies about um, uh, soul state in between lives and past life regression. And um, as also being someone who's raised Catholic, this would be blasphemy um, within like the Catholic community. But as I've gotten older, the one thing I identify as God is love. And that is like my, that's what I believe in. So I'm kind of open to everything. And so Michael Newton is fascinating. He did, he did about 200 interviews, I think. Anyways, it's a lot of interviews with a lot of people who are basically recounting what their soul state was in between their lives. And they all said a lot of the same stuff. And he just took people from all over the world, put them into regression um, did this thing and they all were saying the same things and it's just this fascinating i mean that book like blew my mind and was like whoa like we are here to collect experiences and learn and grow and love you know expand into a universal consciousness this is so hippie people are like you're definitely um on something but i'm not uh and yeah so that i love one, it i love it i think you'll really like both of those books but if anyone's interested in that stuff those are both really solid in that I'm going to definitely read language of God. Uh, um, and you know what I, if you do believe in past lives, maybe you were like married to Henry the eighth or one of those like r British Royal nobles in a past life. And that's why you identify with it so much. That's what my mother says. She's like, you know, you must've been around back then because you know, for a seven year old to be obsessed with this and to never grow out of it. She's right. Like, I think there's something there. And you're not British. Are you British? No, I'm a half Scandinavian, half Italian. I'm half Italian, half British. Funny. 
I feel like nice. we're, I feel like we are, I'm so excited to have you like in the goddess group on this podcast. Cause I, I feel like we're definitely connected. We've never met cause of COVID, but hopefully at some point we will. Um, okay. Last question. If you could get one magical blessing come down from the all knowing universe, what would it be? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. It's like, that reminds me, I love to end my cannabis interviews with what's your favorite memory from your journey? And I always get the same, like, Ooh, that's such a good question. <laughs> so this kind of reminds me of that. Um, you, you know, I, I would have to give it to my mother. She's a cancer survivor and there's nothing that can bring me to, you know, make me weak in the knees faster than the thought of her passing. And I'm sure anyone mm. out there, especially those whose parents have gone through cancer, um, who have lost their parents to cancer. Um, you know, it was really around that time when my mom was, you know, she had a portion of her lung removed. She went through chemotherapy. You know, I became very spiritual during that time. Um, and, and that's when I started reading about, uh, you know, near-death experiences because I wanted, I was curious, you know, what's on the other side, you know, where do they go? Um, and so, if I had to have one blessing, I mean, it would probably be for, for health, you know, not just for my family, but for, for everyone, um, especially, you know, myself going through COVID, I know several people who have lost loved ones from COVID. Um, you know, I just want to wish for a blessing on, on good health um, for mankind right now, because I feel like we need it. Okay, I'm giving, you, I'm giving you two, because that was so beautiful that you get a second one. So what would the, also, I want to tell you one thing. I lost my dad to lung cancer and I had this like experience with him where I was like laying on this bed. I was in between sleeping and being awake. I was like meditating before I ever meditated or knew what that even was. And I just needed to talk to him and know that he was okay. And I had the most surreal experience of this like white light, like this floating white light come up to me and it was him. And he just said, you know, it's so beautiful here. And like, and it's, you know, I'm, we're the freest we can be here. Like everything's fine. And it was very, it really set me off on this really intense um, journey of being okay with that too. So I, girl, I feel you on that. And, and yes, blessings to everybody health-wise. And we have to create businesses that are conscious and, and create awareness of how we can heal ourselves and the, and the, the things that come from the planet that can heal us without being synthesized and, and just profitable. Um, but what right. would your magical blessing be uh, for Emerald? If you could have one magical blessing, because I know you're not really interested in selling it, which most people want to sell their businesses. So I'm so fascinated. What would a magical blessing be for, for your, your efforts with Emerald Media Group? You know, I, I believe that Emerald brings to the table. I believe we've got a grade A audience and, you know, I, I love everyone that's a part of our team, the writers, the editors, the producers. I think we're all moving in the same honorable direction. And so, you know, my hope, not just for, you know, myself or for the company, but for my writers and everyone that's a part of the team, you know, I want them to, I want us all to do better. And so it would be a dream to you know, link up with a, an established media outlet, a larger media outlet that 
sees the value in our audience and the emerald and cannabis and what that emerging market looks like and so that we can work in a strategic relationship to to further the mission to further the do good mission mm. and so you know um whether that be you know refinery 29 or you know another like-minded brand that um you know could like i said could see the value in in catering to to both men and women but predominantly women between the ages of 30 and 50 and that sees value in educating a senior citizen community um, you know, by, by forming that strategic alliance, you know, not only do we bring to the table and, and bring our audience, but, you know, in return, Emerald is able to increase the size of the microphone so that we can continue to amplify the voices of the people that we started this company for so that they can be heard. And I, I would only hope that, like I said, you know, if we were to do something strategic with another outlet, that we can further spread the mission and and i would just hope for that not just for the brand but for everyone out there that's been affected by the war on drugs everyone out there that's been affected by police brutality you know for my writers and my editors and the producers um because you know they're they're team players and and they deserve to be um they deserve to be working with you know the the best media outlets out there and and i feel like a parent when i say this but i want what's best for them and you know i want what's best for our audience and so you know my my dream would be to work strategically with another media outlet to to further expand and build upon what's already created i love that and by the way you are a mother if you are a female and you have owned a business instead of having kids for the last eight five, 10 years, that's your child. And anyone can tell oh, yeah. you that that's not, but I know that you, that is your baby and you, you're, it says eight years and six months old. So that is your child. And you want to see that <laughs> child flourish. I mean, you are allowed to want that, you know, I'm okay. going to send this kid to college, <laughs> send that kid to college. All right. Need a scholarship for that child. Um, it, that child deserves one. Um, is there anything else that I didn't ask, but I should have? No, I mean, I think that we covered some great ground today. And, and this was, I, I, I enjoyed this thoroughly. This is a, a very fun podcast to be on. Thank you so much for having me. Yay. Thank you for all of your time, your insight and your experiences. I know all of the goddesses are going to be so inspired by your journey and that our listeners are going to have a call to action on their own paths, you know, it's okay to take alternative routes to get to your greatness. I think being open to that is key. I agree. Yeah. Thank you so much and have an amazing day. I'm going to sign us off here, but I'll have all of your links in the, um, in the description and thank you again. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Nothing in this podcast is a recommendation.
hey all you sea stars, goddesses, naiads, and Neptunes, aka the paradisiacs, who care about the important stuff. I hope you all found some inspiration today, and I hope to have your beautiful souls back for our next episode. This podcast supports a beautiful group of humans who gather on full moons, and to find a link for Howl and Heal, and for our website with these episodes, details, and blog, head to themelroseshow.com. You can also connect with me on IG at Melrose Wild or at the Melrose Podcast. Again, this is Melrose. I hope after you listen to this conversation, you feel some magic brewing in your own destiny. Thank you for listening and please subscribe or follow us to get updates on new episodes. And if you love this podcast, the best compliment is to rate us with five stars and maybe leave a little love note about how this podcast might be helping you. Have a wonderful day and may the forces of wholeness and growth be with you all. Thank you.